So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my, brother, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the, la- in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land, and let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are a hundred thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they brought, that they bought. And Joseph bought, brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, and the herds, and the donkeys. And he supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's, and there is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate." So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, and for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. And therefore they did not sell their land. And then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field, as soon and as food for yourselves and your household, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh." So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. And thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, 
If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. And then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. This is the word of our Lord. What's well, a blessing to be back with you guys this morning. Thank you for having me back. Um, I wanted to make a quick announcement about Summer RUF. If you know of a college student or you yourself are a college student, uh, we have been doing a Summer RUF program uh, at Redeemer Presbyterian downtown this summer. Next week, or in two days, on Tuesday, is our last night of doing this. Um, and we have a special guest, a friend of mine from Myanmar, who is a missionary there, who is on um, home missions assignments, who's going to share about his experience uh, of doing cross-cultural ministry. Um, and also, they ended up leaving because of a military coup happening in the country. And so uh, it's going to be a really fascinating time. I unfortunately will not be there. Uh, my wife will be there, but uh, Daniel Murphy is my friend's name. He's a, uh, a pastor in our denomination, and uh, it's going to be a really interesting experience. So if you want more um, information about it, uh, RUFUTSA Instagram page, uh, there's, a, there's a little bulletin you could say about Summer RUF. You can find it there. Um, you can contact me personally if you want to as well. Um, and then just as a as a form of, of you praying for me and for our ministry, uh, we start classes in 29 days. I realized that this morning and I was like, whoa, this is coming up quick. Um, we would love your prayers uh, for the ministry that we're doing at the University of Texas at San Antonio. Um, it's going to be an interesting year because uh, students are coming back. Finally, we, we didn't uh, get a chance to do ministry on campus at all last year. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and we have an intern who is coming who, praise the Lord, raised her money. So she's going to be coming um, sometime in the middle of August. Uh, her name is Patty, so pray for her. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done, uh, but we're super excited uh, to be able to minister at UTSA. Um, so as we, um, in, in all of that, looking at this passage and this text of Genesis 47, one of the themes in Joseph's life is God's providence, God's providence. And in particular, uh, on the latter half of, of the story of Joseph, really how Joseph is integral in, in God's providence and in his story. And so we're going to look really at the person of Joseph this morning. And his story kind of made me think of and reminded me of a really interesting story I heard a couple of years ago about a man named Henry Rowan. Henry Rowan. Uh, he was the first person to make a $100 million gift to a university that was not an elite school. So at that time, this was in 1992, uh, there had been tons of large gifts that were made, but typically they would go to Yale, and to Harvard, MIT, Stanford, uh, because the idea is that if you can build up the elites and the people that are really well, you know, versed in terms of, uh, you know, the, the leaders of our society, then you can change the whole world. Um, and Henry Rowan donate, donated money to a university that ended up taking on his name. 
the, the university in New Jersey is now called Rowan University, uh, in large part because of this enormous gift that he gave in 1992. And the idea, it, it, what's interesting about Henry Rowan is that he is a graduate of an elite university. And he ran in the circles of people who are huge leaders and very influential in society. What he decided to do was to, was to donate money to this particular university because of the fact that they were raising up predominantly engineers and people in STEM who were going to make a huge difference kind of at the median level of, of the production uh, and, and in industry. And so his belief is that if you, if you can provide for people who are the workers um, in, in, in a certain field, especially in STEM, you can help change the world in ways that even the Harvards and the Stanfords can't. Okay? And, and I use this example just to speak of Henry Rowan and him as a person who recognized this particular need and also his work. Because prior to this, and, and if you're familiar with the way that universities have been functioning over the past, you know, five, ten years, a lot of these, what you would consider like second or third tier universities have been struggling immensely. They're struggling immensely because people often forget about them. They forget about particularly universities in smaller towns where there may be a history of people regionally going to them. And so Henry Rowan donates this money, and, and it really changed the entire scope of this university. It allowed this university to, to flourish. It allowed them to give out more uh, scholarships, to update what it looks like for their campus. And right now, it's a place, if you're in New Jersey or in Pennsylvania, that you would want to go to, uh, to get your STEM education. And so it was, it was, he is a person who recognized that, but also the work that he had done prior to this to amass his fortune, but then to be able to, to say, I want to give away a large portion of my fortune to help these people. So his work. And so I, I use this example of Henry Rowan to say that this is how we're going to address and look at the, the person of Joseph. Uh, who is he? What is, what, what is his person? What is his reputation? And then what is his work uh, in, this, in, in this picture in Genesis 47? And so the first part is looking at Joseph's reputation. And really, this is going to be uh, looking at verses 1 through 10, right? And, and, and to update you on what has happened, the people of God, Israel's family, Jacob's family, have decided that they are going to move from Canaan where there is this terrible famine happening. And God provides them an opportunity to live in Goshen, which is in Egypt. And this is amazing on, in several fronts, right? Because Joseph is in Goshen. Jo Joseph has children. He has a wife. This, the family is finally going to be reunited. They're going to be together. There's going to be something amazing happening. And then also we see amazing provision of, of Joseph in the prior chapter telling the, the, the people to tell that their occupation is shepherding because the Egyptians look poorly upon shepherds. So then looking at verse, uh, at chapter 47, 
Joseph has his brothers come and, and presented to Pharaoh. This is in verse two. And then looking at verse three, Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? They said, your servants are shepherds as your fa- as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for your servants flocks for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Canaan. And what Pharaoh does is that he actually says, I I desire for my livestock to be cared for by you. So that's the first picture of how Joseph's reputation goes forward. He trusted these brothers because of how trustworthy Joseph was. And then he has an encounter with Jacob. And so in verse seven, then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been all the days of the years of my life. And they are not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of the sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. I want you to see two things here. First, that it's it's bookended by the blessing of Jacob. Jacob blessing Pharaoh. But then also you see this picture of Jacob. And I, I mentioned this last week that Jacob had lived a sorrowful life. He, he, he looked upon his life in a very, very sad way. And he even says so here that the days of the sojourning of his life have been few and evil. And they have not attained to the days and years of my life. He's, he's looking upon his life and he's saying, I have not been as great of a patriarch as my father and my grandfather were. And then Jacob comes and he blesses Pharaoh. And so Jacob is given this position because of Joseph and the work and the reputation that he has attained. But then also blessings that happen in the ancient world were given from the greater nation to the lesser nation. So there's this incredible picture of Pharaoh receiving a blessing from Jacob, even though they were a much smaller place, even though they were a needier place, he receives this blessing from Pharaoh. Now let's look at Joseph's work, Joseph's work on behalf of his people. In verse 11, it says, Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the lands, in the land of Ramses, or also, as we heard in the previous chapter, uh, called Goshen, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of, of their dependents. If we were to just stop here, it would just sound like they lived happily ever after. The end. Joseph gets to live with his family all in, in Egypt. They're in great land. The brothers now have an opportunity to shepherd. There is some authority that they have even in the land. And things are great. You see Joseph as this provider for his people. But then in the very next verse, we hear that there is a problem. That now there is a severe famine in Egypt. So not simply in in Canaan was there a severe famine, but now a severe famine has come to Egypt and the the land is languished by reason of the famine. And then it says in verse 14, 
Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, in exchange for the grain they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. What I want you to notice in the next you know, 13 or so verses is how often Joseph shows up here. Joseph is an instrumental part of the survival of God's people. And what you'll also hear is this, that his work isn't just particularly for the 70 people. He actually cares for all of the people in this land. He is a good governor. He is a man who cares not just for the people that he knows and that he loves and that are his family, but for everyone. So picking up in in, um, verse 15, and when the money was all, uh, excuse me, in verse 14, and Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land uh, and and in exchange for the grain that was brought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. They were desperate. All of the people of God were desperate. And Joseph answered, give your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So so they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. God had provided, God transferred his people from Canaan to Egypt with their livestock. Pharaoh had even given their livestock. Joseph is here to to provide for them in this way, but they also give up their vocation, completely give up all of their herds and their livestock. And then looking at verse 18, and when the year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, meaning Joseph, We will not hide from the Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord's but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our lands? Now, we we heard that previously in verse 14, just this plea of desperation. That all of the people are desperate because the famine is this bad, is this awful. By us... And our land, buy us in our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. This word could also be translated slaves to Pharaoh. What all of the people are doing is shackling themselves up to Pharaoh, giving him their lands, giving them everything. Um, And so Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their field because the famine was so severe in them. And the the lands became Pharaoh's. One commentator, Derek Kidner, says it this way. He says, all the land was already Pharaoh's. Being an authoritarian, kind of dictatorial leader, all of the land was already his. And so Joseph, in acquiring the land, does what was already known. He, he was already um, the, the Lord over all of it. But Joseph, in being a provider for the people, for all of the people in this land, provides them with food, provides them with seed, provides them with something so that they can survive, so that they can make it. And we hear that the priests did not have to give up their land because there was a fixed allowance that Pharaoh 
gave them. And then looking at verse 23, then Joseph said to the people, behold, I have this day brought you and your land for Pharaoh, bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you that you shall sow the land and the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh and four fifths shall be yours. And then in uh, verse 26, and so Joseph made a statue concerning the land of Egypt and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have one fifth and the land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Joseph actually sets a, a helpful economic policy for Pharaoh and Egypt. And we hear that even when Moses writes this over 400 years later, that this still exists, that this, that, uh, this gracious kind of economic, uh, system is set apart and is given for the people. And then verse 27 is really fascinating here. It says this Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it. So it's interesting because they, they were slaves. They did not have the, the possession of the land. But in some way, God's people had possessions that they brought into it, probably because they, they had really good land that they were able to farm. And, and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. This is a promise that God was to, to allow his nation to be great, to be fruitful, to multiply. This is uh, lo- looking even back at Genesis 1. This is a promise that, that God has provided for his people, that they, would, that they would flourish, that they would continue to go forth. The second, the, the, the big problem though in this passage right here is that all of the people of Egypt are enslaved but in particular, the Israelites. And as we have these words from verse 27, over the course of 400 years, there's a recognition that the Israelites could be a big problem because they would multiply so quickly. Because they had, they, they, they had just a massive amount of people. They had the great lands in the land of Ramses. And so as we fast forward into the Exodus story, we know that God's people are shackled and they are given hard labor. It is awful and it is, it is so challenging. But Joseph's good work here allows them to survive. And, good, and again, allows all of the people in the land to survive. So Joseph is really a model for us as a good and faithful leader to his people. I think it's a great picture for us as neighbors to people who aren't Christians, to people who may be living really terrible lives, to those who are living together and and unmarried, to show them kindness, to even even be merciful to them, Um, to those who, who, you know, you can tell that they treat their children unkindly. Uh, I use this example all the time, but to the person who really drives you nuts in your HOA, it actually gives us uh, a, a desire to want to care for them and want to provide mercy to them and, and um, wanting to, to love them, uh, to do good work for them because of the love that you have in Christ Jesus. And lastly, just looking at the last four verses here, we see Joseph's promise to his father. And, Joseph, and Jacob lived 
in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in the burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed or on the head of his staff. This is a picture of Joseph promising his father to to take him out of Egypt, to bury him in the place where his fathers were. This is a, as the governor of Egypt, he could make that promise, but also his character proved that he would, that he would go forward uh, and would be faithful to this promise. <clears throat> the God's vision in Genesis 46 is about to come true. Jacob is old and is tired. He has lived a long life. We heard it. He has been sojourning for a long, long time, and he's exhausted. He just wants to rest in peace with his fathers and with those who are before him. And so the picture of Joseph that I want you to see is not that, that Joseph is just this, this beautific, perfect picture of how we ought to live. But he really is kind of a, a pre-picture uh, of what we need in Christ, of what we need as a Savior. We need the Savior to have a good reputation, to be a person who does good work, to, who goes ahead of us. And also who promises us a future. In fact, what, what, what God's people really needed was just Joseph's to happen over and over and over again. But if you followed along the story, you know that there were many, many ways that God orchestrated this. Such that he had a leader in place in, as governor in Israel to care for his people. And so we need that and we cry out for it. And maybe even politically you cry out for it, both in local politics and state politics in national politics. And we find out that people just don't do what's best for us. Don't do what, it, what is best for all of the people that they represent. And we're frustrated. And so we need a good governor, a good king and we have that in the person, in the work of Jesus. Jesus is the one who came from the Lord, who, who stooped down, who humbled himself, who lived a sinless life, who put himself on the cross, was, died the death that we deserve, was raised and is seated at the right hand of God the Father and intercedes on our behalf. And the promise is going to come true that that vision that we will be together and not just our bones together, right? Not just the bones of the patriarchs being together, but that we will be raised together and that God's people will all be able to rejoice together as, as those who follow him and love in him, love him. And so this passage gives us a, a, like a proclamation to put our trust in the God who provided 
for the, Egypt, for, for the Israelites as they were in Egypt. For a God who provides for you and who has been with you every step of the way. And for a God who will come again. And a God who is, who is coming again to make all things new. We, we do not want to go back to Egypt and to live in Goshen. That is not our desire. We do not want to make uh, so, something else that could, that, that could give us a little bit of taste of satisfaction. We want satisfaction of God's people um, and to be in communion with him. And so we long for the day where our Lord is coming back for us, where he will sit with us at a table and we can enjoy the best of his feats. And so my, my desire for you, if you do not believe in Jesus, is to put your trust in Jesus, to put your trust in the matchless name of Jesus, because he alone could do what we can't do, what even Joseph can't do. And if, if you are already a Christian, if you're a person that's been walking with Jesus, uh, to continue to remember the goodness of, of that mercy that he gives us, um, to continue to be encouraged by how he walks with you, and even to extend that grace and that mercy to others. Let me pray for us this morning as we continue.